0: ask you or invite you certainly to turn back to that portion of scripture that we read together in, in Genesis. So Genesis chapter 11, if you've got Bibles in front of you, a Bible in front of you, if you could please turn there. Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. So a couple of years ago there was a um, a very popular program on our TVs. I'm sure you remember it. It was called A Long Way Round. Some of you may have seen it. Um, it followed two guys, um, Charlie Boorman, I think, and Ewan McGregor, as they sort of jumped on their motorbikes and uh, traveled probably most of the way right round the world. And on the final episode of A Long Way Round, you saw these two guys on the last leg of this huge journey. The last leg. They sort of rode in, in New York. Where I think it was across the Brooklyn Bridge. And they had the whole sort of New York skyline in front of them. Well, this morning, I guess we come to it the final leg of our journey around the world of Genesis chapter 1 to 11. And as we, this morning, drive into our last destination, there's a skyline in front of us. And it's a skyline dominated by one building. Because this morning we come to, we are confronted by, the Tower of Babel. So let's not, let's not delay. We've got a lot to cover this morning. So let, let's get straight to the text. And let's consider our first heading here. The first thing we've got to think about. Point one. The wrongs of mankind. Okay, that's our first heading. The wrongs of man. Okay, we're told in verse one that at this point the world had one language and a common speech. Okay? And what we've got to see in the first part of this chapter is that humanity tries to use that. Humanity tries to use that sort of unified speech for its own benefit, if you like. And I want us to think about that, and I want us to think about the mistakes that man makes here in three steps, okay? Three, I most progressive stages, if you like. Stage one, see here that mankind built. Do you see that? Verse four says, come, let us build. Now, note straight away about that. Note how they planned to build. Do you see that? Verse three, it says, verse three, they said to each other, come, eh, let's make bricks. It's to each other. This thing is really Kind of insular, isn't it? Everything about it is insular, and inward. From the start, this building project that we've got here is an exclusively human activity. There's no, there's no consultation with God. There's no submission to God here. It's, it's a project that's building the tower. It's a project all about man, Right? And you might think this sounds crazy, but even what they're using for building blocks here gives that away. It's revealing, isn't it? Look what they're using. They're not using sort of solid, eh, reliable, God-given stone as would be the norm. That's not what they're using. Look at it. Given the nature of the project, they shun the God-given stone and they go straight for man-made bricks. Verse 3 again, let us make bricks. Okay? And this theme, this initial sort of man-centred emphasis, it's present again when we consider who it was that they were building the Tower of Babel for. Did you pick up on that when we read through it? Who are they building the tower for? You see it? Verse 4. Let us build for ourselves. Let us build for ourselves. Do you see the point here? Everything about the Tower of Babel from the start is wrong. It's wrong. The method was wrong. The planning was wrong. The motivation was wrong. Here's a group of people who are ignoring God. Here's a group of people that are forgetting about God and kind of forging ahead with an exclusively human, man-centered activity. And you know it's wrong. And I know it's wrong. But are we doing the same thing in our lives? You know, are we... Are we trying to build lives for ourselves without any sort of consultation with or submission to God? Are you trying to do that just now? See, I think one of the most staggering things about this account is how quickly the people here forget about God I mean, this comes very quickly after the flood, doesn't it? They forget very quickly that God has saved them. But the same can very often be said of us, can't it? You know, in the way that we lead our lives, are we forgetting the incredible things that God has done for us? In the way that you are leading your life, Are you, as a Christian, forgetting that God has saved you? And are you forgetting what God has saved you from? So mankind built, okay, and it was a sort of man-centered thing. The second stage of the mistake is also to see that mankind built a city. You see that? He built a city. Now, so often, I think, when we're reading this uh, portion of Scripture or we're, we're hearing it preached, um, I think it's right and understandable, but, but so often the focus is on the tower, isn't it? And that's right, and it's understandable. But it sometimes comes at the expense of seeing that there is also a city that is built in this chapter here. Now, why do that? Why? Have these people in Genesis 11 built a city? Well, part of the reason for building the city was for security. I mean, we're told that. It's very explicit in verse 4. It says, they built a city so that they wouldn't be scattered from each other. So that's part of it. They built a city for security. But there's another side to it too, isn't there? Because surely part of the motivation for building the city was because of a people's desire for self-sufficiency. That's why they built the city. You see, um, ever since my wife and I uh, moved down to London, which was, what, about a year ago, um, we kind of hear the same things from our our friends north of the border, from our sort of redneck uh, Scottish friends, they always say the same things to us, they say, oh, it must be great living in London, you've got everything you need in the one place, and um, it's true, isn't it? I mean, we, we have, if we want shops, if we want to go and hear music, if we uh, want to go out for a meal, we've got everything we want on our, on our doorstep in the city, it's fantastic, And that's the sort of thing that's going on here in chapter 11, isn't it? You know, the people have built a city so that they can be self-sufficient. They've built a city so that they can have everything they want right there. They've built a city so they don't have to think about or worry about God. And I think too... We fa- face a, a similar temptation in our lives, don't we? You know, we try and do something similar. We try and build a life that feels secure. And We try and surround ourselves with, with people that are reliable, with, with family and friends and reliable people. We try and build a life that is kind of self contained. We try and build a life that, where we have everything that is comfortable at our fingertips. What we try and do is we try and build lives that are independent from God. And what these people in Genesis 11 found out, and what we will, all of us, one day ultimately find out, is that from an eternal perspective... There is no such thing as self-sufficiency. There is no ultimate security for you apart from God. And that if you are trying to build a life just now, a life outside of Jesus Christ, then that life is a city and it is a city without foundations so mankind built and he built a city third stage mankind built a city and a tower didn't he at last we get to the famous much talked about tower of Evil. and I want us to consider here where they wanted the tower to reach and I'm sure we all saw that when we were reading through it. you see it? Let's build a tower that reaches to the heavens. And if you're tired this morning, if you're weary, I would urge you to hear this. Because this is surely the most crucial aspect this morning. Because you see, these people were concerned with their own honour. They're concerned with their own reputation. So what is it that they do? They try and build their way into glory. Don't they? Think about that. They 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 try and sort of lay siege to the divine realm. They try and break into heaven. Now, I don't suppose that they are all that concerned with reconciliation with God... That doesn't seem to be their motivation. But they do want the sort of benefits of that. They do want eternal life. And they do want eternal life in glory. And I know that this is a very, very, very contentious thing to say. But I think what we've got there is a picture of every other faith and religion under the sun because I think what we've got there is a picture of works based of religion you see whether it is Buddhism or whether it is Sikhism or whether it is Hinduism or whatever it might be religion claims the same thing it claims that we can procure salvation religion claims that we can put brick upon brick Upon brick in our lives, and we can sort of work our way progressively up to glory. Well, what we learn here, and what the Bible consistently teaches, is that that is guff, that is nonsense. Our entrance into glory isn't dependent upon effort. Our entrance into glory is dependent on holiness. And so salvation comes not through what man builds. Salvation comes by believing in what Christ has already built for us. Do you see that? So mankind makes mistakes aplenty in in Genesis chapter 11, but no mistake greater than that. It is by grace we are saved. By grace. Through faith, and it is not of ourselves. The wrongs of mankind. Okay, the wrongs of mankind. Let's consider the response of God. The response of God. Now, um, I know that we've we've got quite a lot of people in the congregation just now um, who have moved to London from other parts of of the world and because of that who are currently uh, trying to come to terms with the sort of complexities and the eccentricities of the English language. If you are uh, here this morning and you're currently learning English and you're frustrated by it, I would say to you, Listen up, because we see here what's to blame for this division of language. And a moment ago we saw um, three steps, three progressive steps um, about the wrongs of mankind. Well, here we'll we'll not look at that. We're just going to look at two things. We're going to look at two responses of God to those mistakes that man made in Genesis 11. Okay, consider firstly that the Lord descended here. Do you see that? In verse 5. It says, in response to this building of the tower, in response to this enormous building project, God came down. That's what we're told. He came down to inspect the city and the tower. Now, When we're reading that, what we've got to appreciate is how humorous that is. Or certainly how ironic it is. Here are men. Here is humanity trying desperately to sort of build its way to heaven. It's so pathetic and so rubbish and so small and and tiny are their efforts that what has to happen? he can't get up to heaven God has to come down to see it but we also see in this descent of God that God has perfect knowledge of the sins of humanity I mean he comes down here God is educated about he sees and knows the wickedness of mankind. And surely that's reason for us to sit up and, and take note, isn't it? God sees. You know, God sees even the hidden things of your life. God sees the, the secret things. Just like here, God sees the things that we actually try and push God out of and, and kind of hide from Him. God sees those things. And God knows all about them. Friend, do not think, even for a split second this morning, that the sins of your life, the current sins of your life, are beyond the perfect sight of God. They are not. The Lord descended. Secondly, the Lord also decreed. He didn't just see, He acted. He judged these people for their wickedness, didn't he? You See, what we've got in verse 6 is almost like a kind of divine pausing for thought. And then God launches into action. He, 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 he pronounces a two-fold judgment. Do you see what the judgment was in the people? One, he confuses their speech. And then two, he scatters them across the earth. And then look at the result of that decree. And this is the important thing. The building work had to stop, didn't it? They were confused and scattered, so this tower remained unfinished. This huge, big building project, the the thing that's so dear to these people's hearts, it had to halt immediately. And surely, folks, we see from that that sometimes, and for very good reasons your plans are going to come to nothing. They're going to come to nothing. The things that are dear to us, you know, the things that we throw our lives into, sometimes they are going to fall apart. Sometimes they're just going to crumble around our ears. And in times like that, we might well be left in confusion too, you know. In times when our plans fall apart, we might be left crying out to God, Why, God, why on earth have you let this happen to me? And if there's someone in here this morning who's asking that question of God, I would say, listen a second thing about this decree, because you see, it's not just a response of judgment, is it? It is a response of grace. Do you see that? Because I'm pretty sure you recognize, don't you, that these people here, that humanity deserved to die at this point. They deserve to be wiped out. Think about it. They've, they've tried to push God out. They've ignored God. They deserve death. But what does God do? He confuses them and scatters them. Now, why didn't he kill them? Why did God not wipe them out here? Well, friends, God confuses these people in order to reveal to them their weakness. He does this to reveal how much they need him. You see, God wanted these people to come back to him. He loved these people. He wanted them to come back to him. And that's why their plans come to nothing. He gives them a second chance. And so I would say to to the, the person, the people in here who are anxious because their plans are coming to nothing, See the grace of God here in Jesus Christ. See the second chance that God has given you. Have your plans come to nothing because you have strayed from God? Well, this morning you have a second chance. Take that chance. Grab it and come back today to the Lord. so the wrongs of mankind and the the responses of God we're going to conclude with a third thing the reversal of Babel the reversal of Babel I'm going to ask you to do something that I don't very often ask you to do and I would ask you to pick up your Bibles pick up your Bibles go on and uh, turn with me to Acts the book of Acts chapter 2 Acts chapter 2 I'm just going to read a few verses from the beginning of the chapter Acts chapter 2 from verse 1 this is the word of God when the day of Pentecost came they were all together in one place When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Okay, why reads that? Why read those Verses. Well, friends, consider what happens there. This, Acts 2, is the initial reversal of Babel. Think about this. Where, in Genesis 11, at the division of language and people, the focus goes from God's relationship with the whole world... To his relationship with one family, Abraham's race, here in Acts, at the reversal of Babel, the good news. It goes from one nation, it goes from Abraham's race to all the nations and languages of the world. All people here hear the gospel. In their own tongue, don't they? A new people emerge. A people in Acts 2 emerge not based on ethnicity, not based on language, not based on, on nation, but a people who find their identity not in their own ability to build up to heaven, but who find their identity in the one who came down from heaven and died for them. Think about this. Acts 2, Pentecost, was the initial reversal of Babel. But hear the words of Revelation 7. And this great prophecy of a heavenly scene. It says this, Revelation 7. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, crying out with a a loud voice salvation belongs to our God. Do you see it? Genesis 11 shows us that sin led to the division of all nations. Acts 2 points to how that will be reversed. And Revelation 7 tells us that one day there will be a complete fulfillment of that, that all languages will join together in the praise of the Lamb. And folks, as we conclude and end our sermon series, consider all that we have to praise god for we must praise him for creation for turning darkness into light we must praise him for the for making man in his image for for making woman as the perfect and complementary companion we must praise him for a Sabbath day's rest for his grace at the fall. We must praise him for the, for the seeds of the woman. We must praise him for the righteousness of Noah, for, for his preservation of the flood, for his grace in the face of judgment. And we must praise him most of all that at each moment, along the way, on every page, in every verse, in every single chapter that we've looked at, that Jesus Christ was there. That he was there. The saviour of the world. And regardless of what country you are from, regardless of your language this morning, just now give your heart over to praise. And let LCPC be a, a multi-ethnic church that praises Christ with all of our soul. That we in here... Might mirror that coming day when you and I, think about that, when you and I bow before the throne of Christ and from blackness to Babel we praise the name of the Lord Almighty, the God. Of heaven and earth, He's